Thank you so much, and just a show of hands, how many of you were here last Sunday evening for the Christmas concert, just to see? Wasn't it remarkable? Absolutely remarkable. For those of you who weren't here, uh, there's some things we want to show you. Many people thought it couldn't be done, but yes, there was snow. 70 degrees out on our campus, that's how we made it. I think, how many tons was it? 15 tons? It literally took all week to melt. Uh, it was just absolutely remarkable. And uh, for those who weren't here, uh, last week in the evening, 4 and 7 p.m., we actually had 1,000 more people show up than a year prior to that. We had uh, almost 400 kids. Uh, we had a uh, packed house at the 4 and at the 7. It was just absolutely remarkable. You know, and as it got in the evening, there was just this great sense that as a church, we really took the task at hand to not just be guests, but to be hosts. I saw you. You, you invite your friends, your colleagues, your neighbors, family from out of town, uh, family in town. And I, I even saw on social media there was this person who said, it was my first time on campus, but I felt at home. And that's so beautiful that we would be a church that would see that God is calling us not just to be people who show up and take in and just show up and enjoy what God has for us, but that we would enjoy it and that we would invite the people in our city to be a part of it as well. Now, there were so many people who were behind the scenes and publicly, uh, and I won't go through the long list of all those people, but I just want to thank uh, in this moment, if you volunteered in any way, would you stand up right now? We want to thank you because you played such a huge role, whether it was in the parking lot. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. You know, there were hundreds of you that volunteered, and it really made it what it was, truly a Christmas for the city. And as you recall, uh, we did something that we've never done before. We took an offering, and we gave 100% of it away. We've never done that for the Christmas concert. I want to let you know that $60,000 was given. Absolutely remarkable. Now, here's what's amazing. So... So 100% of that is going to go away to our partners in the city. We're splitting it 50-50. Half is going to Habitat for Humanity. And as we shared that night, they're actually already beginning to work on a, a build, perhaps for the Woolsey Fire victims. And so we're going to be presenting that check to them. The other half is going to go towards fulfilling the commitments towards our local partners in the areas of alleviating homelessness. Now, in the midst of that, which is, let's, let's thank God for that, because $60,000 is huge. Now, some of you were so excited to give that rather than just give to the church, you gave directly to the partners. And so we're trying to tally. We don't know what these numbers are yet, uh, but it's somewhere between sixty dollars to $100,000 total that was given. We know sixty dollars has come in because we can calculate that through what was given, but some of you have given directly to the partners, and we're trying to decipher some emails uh, as to what that means, but it could be anywhere between sixty dollars to $100,000 that ultimately is going to end in the ministry of our partners in this city. And can we just thank God for that? Because we've never done that before in the Christmas concert. Now, it's interesting. So I've heard you know, a few people say, gosh, it would have been so much easier if we just wrote a check and sent it to our partners. Like, why do all that stuff? And, you know, why bring in the snow? And why go through all the work? And why, you know, spend all those hours? And, you know, that costs time and it costs money to be able to create this amazing experience. Why do all of that when we could have just given all the money away without having to do all the work? 
Well, the answer is in the sermon today. So why don't we go to Mark 14? In fact, this is a critical part, not only of what it means for us to be the church, but in this series right now, as we go to Mark 14, and if you have a red book in front of you, or if you're in the front row, a, a cubby right behind your leg, there's a red book. It's our Pew Bible. If you go to page 826, it's Mark 14. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, uh, this is in what's referred to as the New Testament. And Mark was one of the eyewitness accounts to the life and ministry of Jesus. And we're in a season right now, we refer to the season as Advent. The word Advent means arrival. You could argue, you know, just in society that there are more arrivals and departures this time of year than any other time of year. In fact, how many of you are going to be traveling somewhere else maybe in the next month? Put your hands up. A lot of departures, yeah. And how many of you are hosting someone? Somebody's uh, coming here. How many of you are hosting? Okay, a lot of arrivals. How many of you are hosting somebody right now, in fact? Yeah. So this is the season for arrivals and departures. Now, we refer to it as Advent because roughly 2,000 years ago, the God of the cosmos arrived in human form. Fully God, yet fully human. And we celebrate in this season the first arrival, the first advent, Jesus the Christ. And yet Scripture also says that though Jesus lived a perfect life, and though right now He's not just a figure in history in the past, that He, present tense, is at the right hand of the Father, and that we as the church are the body of Christ, and that He's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to be His hands, His feet, to accomplish what His body, His church, He longs for it to do in preparation for His second advent, His second arrival at some future date, where He will finish what He began, where the kingdom of God will be here with us on earth as it is in heaven. And so we live in the place between two arrivals, two advents. And if you've been with us through this December sermon series, we began with this truth that there's an invitation that we invite Christ into our lives. And we also invite others to experience that community. Last week, we talked about preparation and how there's actually work that we can do to prepare our hearts, prepare our lives, prepare our community to receive Jesus and to prepare our hearts and our lives and our community to receive others. And so this week, the third week, we find ourselves on that word receiving. Such an important word. In fact, John 1.12 says it this way, all who received Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave them power to become children of God. So, to receive Jesus makes all the difference in the world. To receive Jesus means you go from a, a person made in the image of God, yes, but doing things your own way, on your own strength, on your own power, with your own plans, your own dreams, and the moment you receive Jesus, the moment you believe in His name, Christ gives you power through the Holy Spirit to become a child of God, to be the king's kid. To have a future and an inheritance that can't be touched, to have a purpose and an identity that can't be shaken, to give you a humility and a courage unlike anything else. So to receive is a really important thing. And it's not just how do we receive Christ into our lives, who again isn't just this person in history who is alive and well today, present tense, but how do we receive others 
in the way that Christ calls us to. That's, that's where we're going today in the time that we have. So, Mark 14, I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 9. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. But while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me, for you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, so we're talking about receiving, receiving Christ and receiving others in Christ's name. Uh, but there's three ways, if you're taking notes, three ways in which we can do this and make all the difference in the world. Uh, the first is the Bethany way. So remember, write down the Bethany way. Second, the costly way. The costly way. And third, the personal way. All right, you've heard me preach about Bethany before. In fact, we've got a life group even named Bethany. I see some of you here uh, because of that, because you so resonate with this amazing truth. It seems like a lot of special things happen at Bethany. In fact, this scene happens in a little village called Bethany. It's outside, uh, you know, outside the, the city. You know, a lot happened in Jerusalem. And yet Bethany was this amazing place where Simon the leper lived. In fact, next week we're going to talk about Martha and Mary, you know, that famous meal in which Martha is, is so busy with many things and Mary is at the feet of Jesus. That happened in Bethany. Uh, in fact, there's this amazing miracle. Lazarus is raised from the dead in Bethany. The last week of the life and ministry of Jesus here on earth, though he spent the daytime in Jerusalem, he would retreat and find rest in Bethany. In fact, uh, after Jesus uh, is crucified and three days later rises again, he says to his disciples everywhere, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It says that in Acts 1.8. He says that while standing in Bethany. He ascends to the right hand of the Father where he reigns right now, where he intercedes for the saints, where he rules with power, from the place that He gave us the Holy Spirit and the last place on the planet where His toes touched the earth before He ascended to the right hand of the Father was in Bethany. And there's a prophecy that says when Jesus will arrive again, the second advent, His feet will first touch on a hillside that is in the area that we know as Bethany. You could say that perhaps God's favorite place on the planet was this little town, 
called Bethany. You see, there's a way to receive like Bethany received Jesus. John 1.11 said that Jesus came to his people, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, and yet they accepted him not. They received him not. And there's this, there's this odd thing that though God gave himself as a gift for humanity with love and with joy and with justice and with peace and with beauty, that some people just don't accept him. And in fact, it seems like in the first century, the people who kept him at a distance, who received him not, were the religious people. You see, the difference between uh, Jerusalem in the first century and Bethany can be summarized as a difference between human-made religion and Christ-centered relationship. You see, you can receive Jesus religiously and not really receive him. You know, you can show up to church, you can give, you can pray, you can do the right things, you can measure up. You can say, oh, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, we, we do stuff, and I, you know, I'm a follower of Christ, and not really receive him. i got to tell you, as a preacher, the hardest group to preach to are people who show up to church on a Sunday. This is the hardest crowd I'll ever preach to. It's much easier to preach to somebody who's just come out of uh, rehab. It's much easier to share the gospel with somebody uh, in the hospital. Uh, it's much easier to come to somebody in, uh, in a broken system, a relationship, a socioeconomic status, because often people who gather on a Sunday in a church setting can get caught up in the religiosity of it and be like, yeah, this is a good sermon. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. But never really receive it in their heart in the way that Jesus longs for us to receive it. Because remember, Jesus says, don't just come and see. He doesn't just say, come and follow. He says, come and. Oh, you don't know yet. <laughs> come and die. Jesus says, come and see, come and follow, but come and die. He says, you want to receive me, you've got to die to your dreams that are all about you. You want to follow me, you've got to, you've got to die to your need to be in control. If you want to follow me and, and receive me, you've got to die to all the things that you think are the ways in which you earn my love because you'll never earn my love. I give it to you as a gift. You know how hard this crowd is to preach to? And it's not you. Forgive me, it's not you. It's not you. And it's not me, okay? But we, we, we fall into this thing where after a while, you know, Sundays, oh, yeah, I do my thing, and I go to church, and I volunteer, and I give. And it's so easy for us to slip into a first century Jerusalem mindset where it's all external. It's all show. Jesus never rested his head in Jerusalem, but he found a home in Bethany. We've got to be a Bethany kind of church that isn't about the show. It's not about the externals. It's not about all the things that we do for Jesus, but that we actually say, you know what, Jesus? You are welcome here to make yourself at home. Jesus, you are welcome here to be the head of this household. It's not me. It's not the staff. It's not the elders. It's not the leaders. Christ is the master of this house. 
And so we have to truly be open to that and to pursue that. And really, it's an hourly, it's a minute-by-minute choice to be a Bethany type of people. Because when you receive Jesus relationally, it's not about doing the right thing or praying the right prayer. It's about a, a heart, mind, soul opening yourself up to the fact that you don't know what's best in your life. That me opening my heart, mind, and me realizing I don't know what's best for this church on my own strength. That I would be not just a person who just prays among many other things, but I would be a praying person that saturates everything in prayer, that we would be a praying church that saturates all we do in prayer, that we would constantly be saying, Jesus, what would you have for us? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to live? How do you want us to love? How do you want us to budget? How do you want us to do these things? Because if we rely on our own strength, we're right back to first century Jerusalem. No, we've got to be a Bethany church that receives Jesus. And when we do that, here's what's amazing. We begin to receive others in a Bethany sort of way. You see, in Jerusalem, there was people on the in and on the out. There was the holy and the unholy. There was the clean and there was the unclean. Bethany was the village where lepers lived, where the outcasts gathered. And there was this amazing sense where all were welcome. That people found a place to come to Jesus. Now, here's the amazing thing. Jesus says to all people, I want you to come and see, and I want you to come and follow, and I want you to come and die. So it's a two-truth type of thing. It's this sense of all people are welcome, but I'm telling you, when you come to meet Jesus, he wants you to die to yourself and die to your dreams and die to how you identify yourself and how you think that you should live, and, and that includes me and that includes all of us. And so people call me up, they call us up, and they say, you know, am I welcome at this church? You are absolutely welcome, but get ready, because we want to follow Jesus. And we believe that this is the authority for our life, and we want him to be a Lord, and we're not Lord of our own life. And there's this amazing thing that I see, that as we become more of a Bethany type of church, when we receive people, it's not just a religious like, oh, welcome. I can't believe they're here. It's not like a, welcome. It's not just a public welcome and a private disdain. It's a genuine warmth. It's a public, I'm thrilled that you're here. And a private saying of, I'm so thrilled that they are here. It's not just the external show of being a welcoming group so their numbers can grow, but it would be a deep down sense of receiving and welcome, not just of Jesus, but of all people in this city. You know, it was such a great compliment to you, to this church, because you're living into this. You're growing in this in such amazing ways. There was somebody who was here. In fact, it was a mother-in-law of one of our staff members, newer staff member, Eric Puckett. Uh, his mother-in-law was here, and she said to me at the end of the day, after this amazing experience in the morning and the evening last Sunday, she says, you know, I've been around so many churches, and this is the friendliest church I've ever experienced. Well done, Bethany. Well done, Bel Air. You're living into it. That's what Christ calls us to. 
It's not a religious doing. It is a relational outflow that is a deep and wondrous sense of awe. And here's what's amazing. When you do that, when you receive the Bethany way, when Christ makes himself at home, when you believe in his name, Scripture says that he gives us power to be children of God. That's where the miracles come. That's where the transformation comes. That's where the I can't explain it other than God must be in it type of experiences come. That's not going to happen just through religiosity, but out of the deep overflow of submitting our lives to Christ, get ready, church, for what God wants to do. But we'll just see it. I don't want to describe it now. We'll see it. Let's take a look. Not just the Bethany way, but the costly way. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look at this. In fact, it says exactly how much the nard cost, but I want to expand your idea on how costly this was. And verse 5 of Mark 14 says this, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. Some translations say a year's worth of wages. Okay, so that's a huge spectrum in here, whatever you make in a year. I want you just to imagine all the work in a year, uh, the clocking in, the clocking out, all the billable hours, all the consulting fees. Um, all the advanced royalties, all the things that it takes, the bonuses, all those things of what you make in a year. But let's not think that that was the only cost that that unnamed woman gave to Jesus to receive him as king, to receive him as Lord, to receive him as Savior. Because think about this. Uh, This is a year's worth of her wages. On one hand, she is giving him her past, Somehow, some way, we don't know exactly, she either earned that or was given that. So she takes this thing and she breaks it open and pours it on his head. We'll get to the details of that in a moment. But it's not just the past. She's also giving him her future. You see, some scholars believe that this was in her inheritance. This was her security. This was the thing that was going to get her through the rest of her life. She also gave not just her past and her future, she gave her reputation. Yes, it's in Bethany, but there's some religious leaders there. She comes uninvited. We'll see in a moment. She gets rebuked. She gets slammed. She's putting herself out there. The cost of what she gave to receive Jesus in that moment is so much more than just a year's worth of wages. She gave her heart She gave her reputation. She gave her time. She gave her energy. She gave her life to Jesus to receive him. All who received him, who believed in his name, received power to become children of God. To receive Jesus is the most costly thing you could ever imagine. And here's the thing that we often forget. Yes, it's grace. And yes, it's a free gift. So on one hand, it's free. And yet Christ doesn't just want an hour a month or an hour on Sunday or 15-minute devotional time. He wants your life. He wants everything. He doesn't just want the key to one room in your apartment complex. He doesn't want just an area of your life. He wants all of it. 
He wants to be the master, the Lord of your personal life. And that is so costly to give him. And we'll get to how we can even wrap our minds around that in a moment. But when you see that this, this costliness to, in a sense, put out empty hands of faith, to say, you know what, all the things I've ever done for God or my good deeds or being better than other people, that doesn't earn it, nor is it my bad deeds that prevents me from it. That's a costly thing to receive, that free gift of grace that God gave to you through the cross. Jesus, he paid it all, the most costly thing on the planet. It takes a lot for you to receive, though it's free. Now, here's the amazing thing. When you receive Jesus in that costly way, when you give him your life, not just a part of you, it actually means that when you follow Jesus, he longs for you as the Lord of your life to receive others in a very costly way as well. You see, I've got to tell you that you know this already, uh, relationships are costly. And when you, let's just talk practicality. For those of you who are receiving people this Christmas season, uh, it's costly, right? Like, you can't just have top ramen, you know, for Christmas Eve if you're having people, I mean, maybe you do and it's a fun thing, but like, maybe some of you, you, you spend a little bit more financially to host people, but it's not just the money, it's, it's the time and the energy, right? Am I right? There's something about having to have your normal routine, your normal schedule, you know, and you're cozy, you're snuggy till three in the afternoon. I'm not going to do that to host them well. I'm going to, you know, brush my teeth this time, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do these things. It's costly. And there's this truth that when we really receive people as a church family, it's costly. And I'm not talking just about on Sundays. I'm talking about that as we are the church in the city, in our workplaces, in our homes, our neighborhoods, because we are the church as followers of Christ. And when people come to us at work and say, you know, I'm really struggling right now, and, you know, I I kind of heard you praying for somebody else. Can we talk? You know how costly it is to stop what you were doing and be present with them? That costs something. And that's what Christ is calling us to, to lavishly spend ourselves on behalf of other people. We're in a season right now. We're asking you as the church to open up your homes, your apartments, your townhomes, your businesses, to host life groups. That's costly. It's the best choice you could ever make. Rebecca's going to be available right after the 11 o'clock service. I'm telling you, when you spend yourself on behalf of other people, when you receive other people that way, When you give of yourself, give of your time, give of your energy, God blesses it in such amazing ways. You know, it was a lot of work pulling off last Sunday. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, really thousands of hours when you aggregate the the human uh, capital that was poured into just the volunteer hours of last Sunday. You know, I think about the decorations here and how many hundreds of hours that took. I think about all the time and energy spent in, in preparing the program for the kids and here. You know, it, it cost us a lot. We're actually, we're still recovering, frankly, the volunteers and the staff and the leaders. And yes, it would have been much easier to just say, hey, we're going to give away to help Alleviate homelessness in this city, that would have been much easier, much less costly. But had we not done it the way we did, people wouldn't have come for the first time and said, wow, I feel at home here. 
Had we not spent our energy on those difficult things that don't make sense, why bring 15 tons of snow here? We wouldn't have experienced kids for the first time saying, wow, this is the first time I've ever seen snow. And this memory that it was a church that gave them that gift. You see, relationally, we're in this weird, weird, weird world where convenience has become a top priority. And we live in this weird thing in the West where cheapness, where value is one of the highest priorities. And so what we often do is we live our lives trying to find how do I do this in the most convenient way? I mean, think about the world that we've created for ourselves. How convenient is it? I can order anything on the planet in my Snuggie and it can show up on my doorstep, right? I can drive through, you know, a, a coffee place, a restaurant, and it can just be handed to me and out the window. Uh, I don't have to do the hard work of relationship. I can just send an emoji. <laughs> not even words, not even a phone call. Not even meet up in person. Like we, it's so weird. Like our culture, we are, we're, we've become so conditioned. What's the most convenient? What's the quickest? What's the cheapest way? And there's so much reverberating brokenness in our society as a result. Christ is calling us to receive him with our lives and to receive others in the most costly way imaginable. When you have an inkling to send an emoji... Put some words in the text. When you have an inkling to put some words in a text, pick up the phone. When you have an inkling to pick up the phone, say, hey, why don't we meet for coffee? When you want to meet for coffee, why don't you say, why don't we meet for breakfast? When you meet for breakfast, why don't you say, why don't we meet for lunch? When you want to have for lunch, why don't you say, why don't we have dinner? When you want to have dinner, you're like, let's go on a global service trip together. I want to spend two weeks with you in the Congo, right? Costly, costly, costly. Okay. Open those Bibles back up, Mark 14. Not just the Bethany way. Not just a costly way, but in a personal way. Leads right into it. She breaks open this ointment of nard, as it says in verse 1, verse 3. She pours the ointment on his head. Physical touch. Like I said a moment ago, we live in a culture where we are becoming more disconnected, more fragmented, digital communication. We don't hang out on our porches in our neighborhoods anymore. We tear down houses. We build them to the lot line. Though Southern California is the best place on the planet to live outside, we're just, we're insulating ourselves. We don't take public transportation as much as we used to. We don't carpool as much as we used to. We don't travel together as much as we used to. We don't bowl together as much as we used to. Uh, at this point in human history, in America, people eat meals with other people the least amount of times in a year than any point in human history. We're, we're eating alone more frequently than we ever have before. And so there's this sense that we're becoming an impersonal society. And in the same way, we can impersonally receive Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. 
oh yeah, I attend Bel Air Church. It can just be this kind of like, oh yeah, I've always been a Christian, very impersonally. Doesn't change how we live, doesn't change our decisions, doesn't change the things we value or how we live or how we love or how we make decisions or how we deal with conflict. You see, there is a personal relationship that Christ wants for you and He wants you to receive one another in a very personal way. My doctoral advisor used this fascinating phrase. He called it the resistance of the real. And I remember in class, he'd walk up to us and he'd do this thing and he'd put his hand on her shoulder. And he was like this 6'8", booming voice, you know, Gandalf-looking man, you know, white hair. I mean, he looked like Gandalf, right? And he'd walk around the room and he'd, and he'd do this. Is she still sleeping? This is a remarkable. And he would literally, he'd walk around the class. We're like, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? And he would, he would literally just do this to every single, I wish I could do this. Why don't you, would you just turn to the person next to you? Would you just do this for a moment? Just the person next to you? Oh, I love this. Now, here's what he'd say as this would happen. He said, we haven't yet figured out how to do this digitally. This is what we were created for. There's this beautiful picture in Scripture where elders in the church wouldn't just bless people or commission them for ministry. Scripture says literally that they would lay their hands on people. There is something so powerful that we have a God of the universe that says, the way I do things is not just in the spiritual realm. It's in the physical realm as well. It is absolutely remarkable in Genesis 2 that God reaches into the earth. God gets God's hands dirty to create you. There's some world religions that say, how dare you blasphemy God, dirty God, to say that He would enter into this broken physical realm. And God says, oh, no, no, no. I've come in the flesh. I've arrived in the flesh. As John says, we, we behold His glory. He was full of both grace and truth. You see, Christ has come personally, and He personally lives right now at the right hand of the Father. Christ is a person. He's not just an idea. He's not just a figure in history. Christ is a person. And that woman received Christ personally by playing the role of a priest and anointing his head in preparation for burial. And in the same way, Christ longs for you to receive him personally. Your parents can't do it for you. 
You've heard it said before in the same way you can't walk into a garage and all of a sudden become a car. You can't just walk into a church building and all of a sudden become a Christian. There is a, there's a personal choice. And in the same way when you receive Christ personally, you can receive others personally. There's a great need for holy, appropriate personal touch in this world. And here's what's remarkable. I want to end with this. Open those Bibles back up. As we've seen, this woman receive Jesus in Bethany in such a costly way, in such a personal way. Jesus turns it around and watch how he receives her. Again, in that moment, verse 5, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they scolded her. In the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, is a, it's a very strong word here. They've reprimanded her. They, they scold her. Literally gives the image that they are demeaning her. They're using their power and their influence and their authority to put her down, to put her in her place. There's a sad, long history of people in power putting other people in their place. There's a sad, long history of men in power putting women in their place. And what does Jesus do? He responds only in the way that God in the flesh would do, and he lifts her up. He doesn't belittle them, but what does he say? Let her alone. He comes to her rescue. He comes to her side. He, he doesn't just do that. Watch what he does. Why do you trouble her? He doesn't just deal with the external behavior. He goes right after their heart. He exposes their heart. I have no idea what they were thinking in that moment, but the Savior of the universe questions their heart and says, why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. In some translations it says, she has done a beautiful thing. And then it goes on. You always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, ready for this? These religious leaders, the ones that kept Jesus at distance, who approached him and received him like they would in Jerusalem, who didn't want to spend their lives on him, who did it in the cheapest possible way, who were very impersonal with him, he says about her, verse 9, truly, I tell you, wherever the good news Wherever the gospel is preached, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. There's no one else in all of Scripture that is personally connected to the gospel account like this unnamed woman. There's no one else in Scripture where Jesus says, whenever the gospel is preached in Ghana, in Los Angeles, in Kenya, in Canada... Wherever the gospel's preached, he says, about no one else will she be remembered. There's no one else that he says to followers of Jesus, I want you to remember her. Like anyone else, he doesn't just lift her up to be equal. He lifts her up so high and says, she is synonymous with the gospel. This woman who in Bethany gave her life to receive me, who received her personally, who received me personally, Jesus says, who, 
who risked life and limb to bring me into her heart, to bring me into her life. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That people who they might seem so far from God, that all if they do, if they just receive Jesus and believe in his name, then they will receive power to be the king's kids. And what's so amazing about what she does is she anoints his head for burial and is a reminder that when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified outside the city gates. So the very God of the universe who should be received in first century Jerusalem, who should be coming as king, was kicked out of home so that you would be brought in. The gospel is this, Christ gave his all for you. He paid the penalty for you. He gave you his righteousness. He left the city. He was crucified outside the city. He was received not so that through faith and trust in him, you would be received as children of God. So live out that truth as followers of Christ. Be that Bethany type of church. Be the costly way of receiving Christ and others and, and do it in such a personal way that people would be overwhelmed because it's so countercultural. It's so different. And this is what our world longs for. You want this, don't you? That's why we're here. We want to follow Jesus every day and everywhere with? Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for this moment. And as we think about the truths of how this woman, in that just small moment of time, made a choice that put you as the priority of her life, that put you, Jesus, as the center of her life, that put you as more valuable than her past or her future or her reputation or her security or her inheritance or her finances. God, would she be a model for us that we would do the same for you? We thank you, Jesus, that you receive us out of love long before we do any of those things. That you came to us, you died for us, you pursued us out of love. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together.